To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know the song, you know the voice. I'm sitting here behind a stack of comics, and the man who loves comics as well is sitting right across from me. It's Mr. Don Moore. Uh, hello, everybody. And who is this stranger at our table, Don? I seem to recognize this guy. <laughs> oh, wait, it's Dallas! Back in black. <laughs> or navy blue. It's the color of my shirt. <laughs> That's right. We're all sitting at the table together, in person. Damn. What's up, guys? I know it happens like once or twice a year. I know, I know. So, man, we just had a crazy, uh, crazy thing happen right before the show. Dallas goes out to his car to grab his water, and there's a box sitting on my front porch. <laughs> and my favorite part is it's a box that says it's from Lowe's. Well, yeah. it says Lowe's on the box. I'm like, did you order something from Lowe's? And it looks like, yeah. no. Yeah. So you bring it in and open it. Yeah, total confusion. I bring it in and open it, and hello, it's the Kickstarter delivery from Crit. That's right, I got all six issues, baby. With a stack of artwork, and even cooler, I've got Spectre's After Death Energy Drink. Limited edition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like a whole case of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'm sure everybody's going, now wait a minute, weren't you supposed to be behaving with Kickstarter? That's okay. the first thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is something I funded bef- uh, before... I was uh, put on uh, limitation, <laughs> shall we say, before I had to rein in my spending. But yep, here it is. It's here. I can't wait to try it. We've got one of the energy drinks in the fridge in the, and one in the freezer cooling off, so we're going <laughs> to give those a try uh, a little bit later in the show. So, hell yeah, dude. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to read these in person. I've already read them in digital. Of course, we know Crit. It is absolutely awesome. Homebrewed Heroes, uh, totally cool uh, artwork, design characters, storylines, just totally fun. But now I got them in person, baby. Yeah. I know, it's pretty great. And we're surrounded by just like piles and piles of comics, and I love that you get this big box like a minute before we start the show. Yeah. I know. And just some more. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, you know, we've got all these comics stacked up over here, and we're like, oh, well, you know, here's a giant box with even more comics. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as too many comics. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm at that point right now, considering, you know, I have that massive amount of storage, and I have a long box sitting over there. <laughs> And now I have to figure out where I'm putting all these. <laughs> oh, I, I, I've purged. When I say this, I never thought that would happen, but I've purged my collection three times. Uh, first time I did it was when I was newly married, and we were moving constantly. And I, I got rid of more than half of my collection. Yeah. Um, saying that, I remember I took it to the store as a friend of mine. And his comment was, there's a lot of garbage in here. Well, it wasn't garbage to me, but I knew what he meant. It was just stuff he couldn't turn around and sell quite well. Yeah. But 
you know, of course, I bought a lot of that stuff back at dollar boxes. <laughs> yeah, it always comes back to you, I think. You know, especially <laughs> the stuff that you miss. Because I've done yeah. one or two purges in my life as well. And you always kind of regret it. You know, even if it's years down the road, you it's think, oh, there was there yeah. some great runs in there, some great books. Yeah. And yeah, you... That, then you'd go back and try and, and, and try and regain that collection by going to dollar boxes and just yeah. going looking at back issues and finding them. And I know I've done that multiple times. But, yeah. but yeah, me too. But that's the thing. A lot of that stuff that I got rid of, and I gave my, my nephews, you know, um, in California and North Carolina, a bunch of stuff. A lot of stuff I don't regret, you know, but I mean, I liked them, but I just didn't really want to keep them all the time. But there were some, I thought, you know, I kind of wish I would have had that. And like like I said, the guy said, there's a lot of garbage in there. Well, it's not garbage to me, you know. I'm, I mean, even though I didn't really want it anymore, but I still have good memories about it. Somebody would love it. But You know, I, I've, I've done a couple purges over the years just to make space. And I remember the last one I did, I took two short boxes up to the shop and I brought him in. I was like, Hey, anything you guys are interested in here? Uh, you know, let me know. I'm going to go wander, wander around the store. And of course, you know, come back and Steve's like, eh, you know, got a lot of good reading, which is like code for, yeah. there is nothing worth anything in these boxes. <laughs> yeah, but it's, you know, one time I was at the dollar boxes and I found, it was a nice way of saying it. I found yeah. 12 Richie Rich issues. I mean, saying that they weren't in great shape, but I'm like, what? You know, I'm, I bought them, and the Richie Rich issues were usually really thick, so they didn't sit well. You know, they kind of come apart easy. Whereas at the counter, and the guy said, "Oh, he looked at them. He's kind of surprised I bought them." He goes, "Well, one well, of these are great reads, which again is code wrote, but they are great reads. I'm happy to have yeah. them." Yeah, I think that's one thing that all three of us have kind of held on to is just our exuberance for comics, right? Like, just, yeah. just we all have those books that we either remember and we loved growing up or the books that we're excited about now that will probably be worth nothing. Obviously, that doesn't matter because it oh, leaves yeah. an impression on us. And it's it's cool to see we have three completely different tastes, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I've always said that, that, you know, sometimes somebody would say, uh, is, that wor- is that book really worth it? Is it worth having? Is it worth reading? There's some books that people consider garbage, and to me, it's a highlight of my life. Yeah. I mean, it's a prize. It's a prize possession, um, and that's whenever we talk to people creating a book. You know, sometimes they may not sell. Maybe you know, it doesn't pick up the way they want it. But there is somebody in the planet that's going to get that, and it's going to be a key point to their life. Absolutely. You know? Well, case in point, I brought a book for Rook to read that he probably hasn't read in a few decades. It was a. It's an old teenage ninja turtle book from mirage studios called return to new york and it was from maybe like 1989 and so i brought these for him to reread and yes. i hadn't read them in decades either and going back that like this holds uh, a very special place in my heart and going back and rereading it it doesn't hold up nearly as well as i remember but that's okay because it was that place in time our age it's our, yeah it's a it's like a core comic book memory yeah you know? and it's i have memories, memories of my life surrounding reading that comic right and yeah. i think we have a lot of that with our old books oh, yeah. probably you probably have that with some old richie rich books too or similar books yeah that's there's a cartoon group on facebook old cartoons you may have forgotten and there's a bunch that, when I was like four years old, I used to watch. 
And people come on and talk about what garbage it is. Well, when you're four years old, it's magic. Yeah, yeah. And um, I found some of these on. There was, there's a, ca- a cartoon I only saw when I was four in Lawton, Oklahoma. And it's called Spunky and Tadpole. And it was about a bear and a little boy. And they had a hot air balloon. And, I, you know, I, nobody's ever heard of it. I try to remember the thing. What I remember the most about it was the bear would be in the balloon going, Tadpole! <laughs> I'd see that all the time. I liked it. Anyway, I found some on YouTube. Really, really bad quality. I mean, you know, I guess somebody tried to salvage it on an ancient VHS tape or something. Right. But I think I watched about 12 episodes. At one point, somebody came in the room and says, What is this? What are you watching? Well, <laughs> Like I said, four-year-old Don just jumped out of my body and was watching this. I, you know. Heck yeah, man. You know, I mean, I remember great fondness. Yep. There was a cartoon in the 80s back when Rook and I were really young that had a very short run. And these days it's easy to find. And you find out a lot of people knew about it. But at the time it was really hard to get a hold of called The Pirates of Dark Water. Oh my god. That? It was on. Yes, I feel like dude. that was like either a Saturday or a Sunday morning show. It showed up once a week. And in my mind, I'd be waiting all week for it. And finally, the episode would air, and nine times out of ten, it would be a repeat. I feel like there were... I only remember there being like four or five episodes of this show, and there were probably more, right? But so, so my memory as a kid was that, like... I, it was it was so hard to 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 find the time to finally sit down and watch an episode, and usually it was a repeat. And then once it stopped airing, you couldn't find it anywhere for a very long time. Now I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, and you you can look it up and find everything about it, right? But you. growing up for decades, it was like one of those shows where I thought right. no one else had heard of it, no one knew about it because it, it was so short lived. That was that was a a beloved show, but like you said, I think it was on a Sunday time slot, Sunday morning. And uh, I saw a few. I thought it was awesome because back then there was nothing like it. It was more like a comic book Conan the Barbarian series. And where we worked at, there was a woman that had plans on Sunday. And then her son found out, I don't know if it was Cartoon Network or TBS, on Sunday was going to show Pirates of Dark Water again. And the son was excited about the Plans last Sunday was asking if they could stop because he wanted to watch it. And he was a little kid. But I guess they had shown it somewhere before, and she remembered it with great fondness. Uh, again, that shows up on that cartoon side I was telling you about. I don't know how many episodes were done. I don't think they did very many, but I don't know why the show went. It didn't go anywhere. Maybe just a bad time. But I remember it. Everybody. You know, it seemed like when people had seen it, they get all excited about it. There were other... Um, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Pirates of Dark Water, so, you know, I got to bust out the Google machine here. 21 episodes. Okay, that's, yeah. which is normal of all the yeah. Hanna-Barbera yeah. stuff. It actually like had episodes. two seasons. Yeah. Yeah, it actually had two seasons, but you're right, I can only remember, like... Yeah. Five episodes, <laughs> like a small handful. Like, like I, I remember watching the same episodes over yeah. and over again. But the show was so good; it was unique. Yeah, it was a unique show. Uh, one thing about they say two seasons. Hannah Rivera did a bunch of stuff like Space Ghost, the Herculoids, and what they do in uh, the Fantastic Four cartoon, the one from 1967, which is one of my absolute favorites. 
they ran it for two seasons, but they only did one season. They just repeat. It's rare for a cartoon series to get a second season. Uh, the Star Trek, the Filmation Star Trek one did have a second season. Remember, Land of the Lost had a second season. I mean, to me, it, even though it was live action, it's still a cartoon. Yeah, but, definitely was like a live action cartoon. But um, boy, I tell you, that's that's a that's a debate on that show. People freak out if you have any said Marty Croft or Gumby. You know, that's not animation. Oh my goodness! You know, uh, that's okay. But to me, it's 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 Saturday morning fair. It's all all the same to me. Right. But. <clears throat> Yeah, Pirates of Dark Water, like I said, it was an odd one because it was a hard one to find. It wasn't out all the time, because you know, I, I only saw a few episodes, but yeah, I was that was a great show. And, yeah, and when you're, you only have access to syndicated television, um, you know, you're a slave to the time slots. Yeah, Warner, wait till it's on. Warner Archive, Warner Archive, they put it out, you can get it, you can order it. I did that with Marine Boy. Nice. And, um... There's something else. Um, you can order it, and I guess they make you a DVD and send it to you. But it's got a nice cover. I've seen people on Facebook posting it. So the 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 Sunday morning time slot was tricky, but I remember watching. That's how I think the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series started. Was Sunday mornings at like six thirty in the morning, and it was preceded by Josie and the Pussycats. So <laughs> every Sunday morning, when I was I must have been you know eight years old. I'd wake up at 6 in the morning to watch Josie and the Pussycats and the Ninja Turtles. Then I'd go back to sleep for like an hour, and then I'd have to get up and go to church with my family. And that was just my Sunday morning ritual, you know? Mm. And that's... It, that, I was pretty new to the Turtles. I think that's when the show first started. And I had just been introduced to it a few months earlier when we first moved to Florida. My older brother found a comic book shop, and he picked me up Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 2, which was an early issue. It was like a 1986 or 87 issue. And that was my first exposure to the Ninja Turtles. And then sure enough, like a few months later, I heard they were making a show. They had a toy line and I was super excited. And so I just went all in, you know. Yeah, see, I think uh, I think I first remember the Turtles as a cartoon. You know? Really? Yeah, I, I, I seem to recall the Turtles first in my head as a cartoon. And then I think it was probably through Dallas that I found out more about the comic book. If my brother had never bought me that comic, I'm sure my first exposure would have been the cartoon, yeah. too. Yeah, I just happened to proceed it by, like, six months or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a weird thing, because I, I've told you my history of the Turtles, you know, comic stores and stuff, but I was here, I, Dallas and I seen the move to Florida at the same time. And, um, which is really strange. I tell my wife this all the time. She says, if I would have hung out with you guys, you'd have a guy in his 20s hanging out with two two. Like six year olds. <laughs> <laughs> it's not no. strange at you're this not, point in our life, no, but it would have no. been that. You're, you're, not, been you're that. not that much older. You're not 20 years older than us, you know? Yeah, I am 20 years older than yeah, you. Yeah, he is, bro. I am. I'm absolutely 20 years older than you guys. But, um, but the ter- Ninja Turtles at work, everybody at work, especially back then, were wanting to be artists. Everybody painted, everybody drew, you know, people uh, People wrote screenplays. And one guy that I did the comics with, he was saying, um, he read like Robert Crumb comics, you know, that kind of underground comics. And he heard something. Yeah, he heard something about the Ninja Turtles. This is for the cartoon. And that's the yeah, seen the, the thing. Anyway, the com- Comics Journal had an article about them. And I lent it to him, read, but it was surprising because they said they were going to make a 
they got a marketing guy to come in, a promotions guy. And they said that they were going to do the cartoon. And it says, you're going to see lunchboxes, action figures. It had this list of like oh, every different things. Yeah. And they said they're hoping it'll do really, they're expecting it to do really well in China because turtles are considered good luck in China. And I'm thinking, you know, again, I didn't see anything about the turtles appealing to me. Well, I thought that was a, just seeing the title, I thought, God, that's so stupid, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I don't pick trends. <laughs> yeah. But um, that thing, I remember I was at um, at the mall with a friend of mine in Jacksonville, and we walked by, and my friend said, check this out. And it was a display of all the action figures. Well, they didn't look like the ones from the comic book. They looked kind of goofy. I mean, neat, but, you know, kind of... Yeah, because it was a kid's cartoon. It was a kid's yeah. cartoon. And then next thing you know, you see frozen pizza, you know, canned pasta. It was all cereal. Oh, yeah. And um, it was absolutely, it permeated society. Mm-hmm. And um, massively huge. You know what I'm saying? All this stuff. I have a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Lego minifigure keychain I bought at the Lego store in Orlando. Because I liked how it looked. It has a shell on the back of it. I thought, that's kind of neat. So it makes me happy. So even though I completely lambast the turtles every chance I get, I I have one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, good. My introduction to the the toys and the cartoon series was exciting because I mentioned about my first issue that I ever saw of the Ninja Turtles. My second issue I got, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number five, still the old Mirage stuff. It was a second printing. And in the middle of that issue, like I'm just reading the comic along, it had a Fugitoid in it. Remember that character? Yes, Fugitoid. Um, in the very center of the comic, suddenly, it opens to a two-page spread of just all text. So I'm reading it, and it's like, you know, this is Kevin and Peter, the creators of New Turtles, we have very exciting news. And they said basically what you were saying, right? Like, they, yeah. they're, they're starting up. This fall, we're having a cartoon releasing, and we have a new toy line. And I'm reading this and salivating, like, this is amazing. Turn the page, and there's a two-page black-and-white spread of, like, the first run of their... The first line of toys. Yeah. So it's, like, this cool picture of, like, eight or ten action figures. And I must have looked at that two-page spread for hours, you know, over the next couple of months. I'd read that comic and just stare at those and think, I cannot wait till these come out. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it was amazing. Yeah, and then yeah, shortly after the cartoon was released, and I was like I said, I was all in. Yeah, you were too. We we had tons of them as kids, tons. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I remember like you know if you didn't have something I did, and I didn't have something you did. I mean, it was just it was nuts. Do you remember at least the first run on the toys? Their arms for me would break off at the elbow. Oh yeah, like come off right, and mm-hmm. you'd have to push them back in. Yep, yep. Pop and them I back couldn't. In. I'd have to ask my mom to do it every time. Yeah, and that happened. That was like a problem I always had, and I always have to ask my mom or my older brothers to put the arm back in. And I always think of that now whenever my daughter brings me a toy. Daddy, can you fix this? Oh, it always reminds me yeah. of those old Ninja Turtle arms that would always break off. Man, yeah, it's funny you say that because I had a GI Joe. GI Joes used to be those. Really, you know, Barbie-sized dolls. And I was too little to have one. And basically, the G.I. Joe was completely naked in my mom's flower bed in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, but I pulled Just it living up. his best life. <laughs> 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 this is the one that had the plastic hair, and he always had a scar on his cheek. Yep. And, uh, but what I liked the most was you could pull the, the hands 
and the feet out, and it had like a little plastic piston you mm. shoved it back in, so you could move yeah. any way you wanted. But what I used to do, I'd be in church holding the foot, <laughs> and you know, a little kid, and I would just pull that piston back and forth like it was a throttle, like an airplane. <laughs> and, you know, again, we, we lived at church. We were at everything. If the church had a gospel meeting, we were there. We were always there. A little kid, you know, you're just getting bored. And so sometimes my grandmother would have to, you know, stop it, stop it. <laughs> so you're talking about the, the turtle's, you know, arm coming out. I'm thinking, well, I did that on purpose. The, yeah. <laughs> the feet and the hands were far more fun than the whole naked doll in my mom's flower bed. That's but, picture, well, <clears throat> I picture like 10-year-old Don with like a flight jacket, <laughs> like big goggles, <laughs> aviators. So, uh, so we're, we're talking about turtles. Uh, let's talk for a minute about, about a book that I passed you that I know that you finished now. That is a hell of a segue. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I picked up The Last Ronin. And, you know, there's been all this conversation, a lot of people talking about it. Of course, you know, I know the base storyline already because, you know, reading articles... But the book itself is so much better than reading an article. I mean, this book is fantastic. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, The Last Ronin tells the story of the last surviving Ninja Turtle. Uh, it jumps into the future of the turtles. And, uh, you know, it's it's Eastman and Laird and Tom Waltz, uh, you know, um, were just absolutely a cool freaking storyline. Uh, it was... You know, Dallas. Before you cracked this open, did you know that? Uh, did you know who the last surviving turtle was? I had no idea, which is great. I obviously knew. I had heard about the last Ronin. I, there, there was a lot of buzz surrounding it when it came out a few years ago. I was excited to read it. Never got a chance. And then a while back, you let me know that you had gotten and read it, and I was excited for you. And then you're like, "Hey, you need to borrow this." Yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah. We, we we happened to be out at like a social event one night, and you brought the book. I'm like, yeah, yes. I know everybody. Everybody there was all like, what, what, "What is that one about? What is that one about?" So I started telling everybody, and they're like, "Ah, oh, that's cool." So I had no idea about it. One thing. So you said it's by Kevin Eastman, and Peter Laird. So decades ago, Kevin Eastman bought out Peter Laird's ownership of the turtles. So Peter Laird's not really involved with the turtles anymore. Neither has he been in a long time. From what I surmised from um, the notes in this book is that this is based on an, uh, uh, an original idea that Eastman and Laird had decades ago, right? Loosely based on it, and then they yep. just ran with it, and Tom Waltz wrote it. Yeah. So it's nice that that was brought up, and Kevin Eastman, like True Gentleman, says uh, he dedicated the book to Peter Laird, which, yeah. you know, I think that's it's a nice thing to do. Um, yeah, so I had no idea about the story. I had no idea what I was getting into. And I was, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised i like being thrown into the middle of the story too i know i know it really does it feels like you just dropped right in but you get the way you drop right in you already know the characters you know the scenery you know what is going on uh-huh. and it's just it's just like riding a bike yeah i mean truly this 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 comic is like riding a bike for oh, me sure you know i want to point out so we're not going to try to spoil anything but in case anything happens there might be light spoilers might be yeah might be um so. Yeah, but you know, and I I think you know we were talking before the show. One of the interesting things with this is this is this story's not done. Uh, the last Ronin, the Lost Years, has come out, where it talks about where the Ronin was during all those years. 
of isolation. And now we have the last Ronin Revolution coming out in Singular Issues, where it talks about the future uh, for the turtles. You know, yeah. it's it's absolutely. I mean, this thing. I see what all the hype was. I I see why everybody was so driven towards this book. Uh-huh. You know, it, this came out at a time where I was just kind of like, all right, you know, backing up a little bit. Got to got to slow down. You know, started doing more Kickstart funding stuff and everything. But man, I. I I love the fact that I got the whole thing in a single issue, in a single book, single hardcover. But I really, I really kind of wish I would have gotten this in solos. Yeah, I think it was a five issue run. It looks like it was, I believe, five so. or six, something like that. Yeah. Um, and the the quality of art is great. There are, I think, there are two main artists, and then there are some flashback sequences that Kevin Eastman draws, Ooh. which are great because oh. it's a total throwback to the old Mirage books, and it even has that kind of. Um, almost sepia tone coloring yeah. to it, right? Yeah. I love that. The flashback sequence to the old school art style of Turtles is... Took me back. That Oh, it's some of my favorite pages. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, all the art in this book is fantastic, but those easily, as soon as I turned the page and found one of those, I was like, oh, yes, this yeah. is this is fantastic. This is old school. And and not, so not all the flashback sequences are by Eastman. There are other no, the, ones yeah. that are by different artists, but even those, like, the coloring is a little faded to make it look like it's something that's happened in the past. And personally, I loved the flashback sequences in this story because not only did they really put the pieces together and flesh out the stories. Yeah, that's one of yeah, the pages Don, right there. Yeah, Don, Don just came across one. I mean... But it, it really you know, fleshes it out. And, and then, like, so, like, look at those pages, and then look at these pages from Return to New York, from the old stuff. Yeah. You know, it's it's so much fun to see that, you know. <clears throat> um, so, you know, I have to admit, I, I don't think I've ever read any of the IDW Ninja Turtle stuff, that, so I didn't know what I was getting into. I read the old Mirage books, obviously. I read the first, you know, 30, 40 issues or so. Of those, and that's kind of my only exposure to the old Ninja Turtle comics. So coming into here and having this like high quality art, you know, full yeah. color, I wasn't yeah. used to, and it's great. It's good seeing them like that, but it still has really that grittiness. Even a lot of the word balloons, like the Ninja Turtles when they're talking, they have those kind of jagged um, word balloons that that really stick out because that's how all the old balloons were in the old issues. Yeah. Yeah, probably I know. is. I mean, it's yeah. you know, you can see the jaggedness, the the way that the word balloons are done, the artwork, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, the shredders. Yeah. Oh, yep. Um. Also, a lot of the old stuff. I loved the old Mirage books. For the mo- the stories were good. They were a little thin, and but I guess that was that wasn't the point of the books, right? Um, I mean, you but know, this was, one is pretty dense. That, it, my point was the last Ronin has a pretty thick, dense storyline to it, and there's a lot of moving parts. It does, and well, and the Ronin, the last Ronin has a lot to deal with coming back like this, coming back from New York. Uh, all of his brothers are dead. His master is dead. You know, and, and you know the Foot have taken over New York, so he's got a lot, a lot on his. Mine. Yeah, that was a lot. I didn't expect any of that. Like, and once again, you're kind of just thrown in the middle of of the story of all this happening. So you 
you're 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 quickly putting the pieces together. Yeah. And when it starts to reintroduce some core characters, it's super exciting. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. every time I'd see a new character that I recognize, I'm like, oh my goodness, this person, that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it, it, it it kept you guessing the whole time, which is a good thing, and it kept you kind of wanting more and expecting more. Like, I can't wait to see who the next guest appearance is, as it were. You know. I know. Or how these pieces are going to go together, and it was pretty riveting yeah it, it it was very well written very well drawn um definitely highly recommend i'm i'm gonna be getting my hands on the lost years mm-hmm. uh here real soon i can't wait to read that i That's... can't wait to read rook's copy <laughs> 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 no but um <clears throat> i do recommend the last ronin if anyone's you know a big ninja turtles fan or the Ninja Turtle comics yeah. fan the in the end's a bit of a tearjerker without yeah. giving anything away it's i have to admit i i thought it was a tearjerker as well just just some words from a guy that you know doesn't like the turtles. <laughs> this is, it's a slick package, and the artwork, these guys weren't saying enough about it. The artwork is second to none. Um, I'm looking at it thinking, man, this is, if, I hate to say this, if it wasn't about the turtles, I probably would have enjoyed it more. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I can't stress, well, it's just, you know, the old hey, fuddy-duddy. You know. But the artwork is just right up there with the best. Uh, I love all the machinery. They make a world that's... It makes me think of a lot of stuff I read in heavy metal in the 70s and early 80s. And it also makes me think of John Byrne and Chris Claremont's um, Days of Future Past with the X-Men. Yeah. and um, That's actually a yes. good comparison. That's you a know. fantastic yeah. comparison. But... And of all things, the turtle, the last Ronin actually looks really natural in this world. So even though I'm saying if the turtles weren't in it, I would probably read it. But um, I'm kind of surprised Kevin Eastman didn't draw it. You know, I mean, I know I saw the flashbacks, and I I knew that looked like the old turtle style, but I'm just curious why he didn't draw the whole thing himself. Um, and now this is no knock against him whatsoever. The art in there, it looks a... It's it's not as uh, precise and as clean as his older art was, so it's just the possibility is just out of either out of practice. Mm. Maybe he was he was born in what the late fifties, I think. Not that that's old, but maybe his eyes are going. Maybe he has any any sort of issues, and I could be way off on that. I think he's my age, dude. You know, the stuff that Eastman drew in here, I really enjoy it, and it works. The alt the the change in art from the present day art to mm. like the flashback art that Eastman draws to you know the not so distant past art uh, work done in here, you know I think it works for the idea of the story the concept yeah. you know especially when you get into like where where the Ronin starts talking about what happened to him and how he how he went wandering. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's almost like a look into his mind, where like the old style, uh, the old stuff was like very much in like it, it feels like this is how the turtles see the world in this yeah. black and white, and then the color shows how the world is. I, yeah, I know. yeah, I think that's a good point. And yeah, it, Eastman stuff when you look at that, it does remind you of like the old Mirage books. And I think yeah. you're right; you hit the nail on the head. That's kind of the point. Well, when I've seen this, I, I look at. The Kevin Eastman pages. I'm not hating them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I it's no, I love them. I mean, 
it's a night when I go to the comic store, the the woman that ran the store would always say to me, "Well, a lot of people read the last Ronin." Well, I again below zero interest to me, you know. But I hear people talk about it all the time. I, a friend of mine, uh, Britt, I talk about the show. He bought it. Um, a lot of people online are talking about it. And I look at it. I can see why. That's a great package. The compositions, the everything, the color, the lettering, everything is just second to none and I do like how the flashbacks and I mean I'm just thumbing through the thing while you're talking but I did see the last part and I, I it touched me and I don't care <laughs> but, but it, it really touched me I'm know? sitting in the car pickup line waiting to get my daughter reading those last couple pages and like tearing up I'm like oh boy, oh boy, well, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> yeah. well if you're invested in the characters and stuff um, it would get you you know, and I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And I'm saying this, I'm just, I'm just surface reading. I'm not really reading all the text. So, but that's. But Rook, you said you wish you would have got the single issues. Why? Because that's a nice package. Why? That that is a nice package. I don't know. I think the single issues would have drawn the story out longer for me. Yeah. You know, that's that's one thing I will say. I am incredibly grateful for graphic novels for being able to consume the entirety of yeah. the story in one. Uh, in one package, not in one sitting. I think I, uh, I think this took me like two days to have enough time to be able to right. get to read. You know, but uh, you know, when you look at it, you know, the graphic graphic novels collections they're great for having everything there and getting it all read in one yeah. shot. Where with single issues, you're going months at a time in between. You know, a month in between an issue. And it just makes the story go that much longer and with that much more anticipation of what comes next. And I feel like this book, this book would have been one of the ones that drove me crazy with anticipation waiting oh, for yeah, the next, for sure. next issue. I agree too. I do like, just like television, I prefer not to binge things because it's nice when you're watching an episode or you're reading a chapter of a book like The Last Road in here. Where you, you have time when you finish an issue or a chapter or an episode, you have time to kind of consider what you just watched before moving on with the story. Mm-hmm. You can talk to people about it. You can think about what's going to happen ahead. And yeah, the anticipation really builds it up and you en- I think you enjoy it in the long term more when you're reading it piecemeal. Yeah. yeah right? One by well, one. That's something, again, this is something we talk about a lot. One thing, I do like to get the trades because you have the whole one piece. And usually... I'm not a fan of variant covers. When you get a trade, you usually get all the variant covers in the back, so that's kind of neat to see. You yep. get back matter. You know, they have notes. They have sketches. And if you're talking to a friend and they're interested in reading it, it's easier just to handle the trade or trades than it is single issues. Oh, yeah. I, I would I would lend this out in a heartbeat, but if yeah. I had the single issues, you yes. can kiss my... <laughs> you're not <Yes>. getting them. <laughs> well, but the other thing is, it's like Watchmen is an example people talk about. There was 12 issues. It came out supposedly every month, but sometimes it was longer, which is fine. But it was a blast at the comic shop. And if you had friends that read it, it was a thrill because you'd all be talking about it. What's gonna, uh, Christ of the Infinite Earth was another 12-issue series that everybody's like, what's going to happen next? And somebody said, I heard The Flash is going to get it. Well, yeah, it's... It's like water cooler talk. It's water cooler talk. Yeah. But you know, I did binge read some things. So I, everybody that listens to the show knows I love Walt Simonson's Thor. It's one of my favorite comics. Yeah. 
But yeah, no big shock. But I went overseas on the ship when that was going on. So I think I had maybe, I don't know, six, seven issues. Went overseas. And um, I remember I found one issue in Australia, and I thought, well, that's when they introduced that Malkalith, that elf, I can't say his name right, the dark elf. Malakith. Malakith. I thought, what's going on here? What? Who is this? And then I didn't see any more issues. Then I go back home, and all of a sudden, the store saved me. You know, I had like nine issues, and I binge read them. And I remember I was telling a couple of friends of mine from college about it, and I said, yeah, what, what, you know, I guess it was just unheard of for them because you read it every month. And I said, well, I was reading, you know, Walt Simons' Thor. Oh, they were just going on. It was a thrill. It's, and so when people can binge read things now, it's a different animal, but it, it can be wonderful too. And when you binge watch shows, which everybody's doing now, but it is kind of nice just to watch one episode and then let it, let it, yeah. Stew. <laughs> yeah. Well, you used Watchmen as an example. Um, my first experience or exposure with Watchmen was the trade paperback. Yeah. So I didn't get the chance because when it came out, I was you know I was a little too young, I think, to understand that right, story. Right. So I I read all twelve issues as one entity, and that book in particular, that one works really well as one long story. But I'm right. sure it's great if I were to read it, you know, issue by issue. Well, see, my brother. <laughs> It doesn't really read comics. He read them when he was younger. He did buy the Watchmen trade. And because uh, a lot of people in the orchestra have read it and talked about it. So he wanted to get it. And uh, and he I, I, he was still reading it when he came over to my house one time. And I was surprised. It was genius how they put it out. Because they basically just took the 12 issues and put them in. So after each each issue, you have the back matter, you know. Which goes along with the story. And it's okay, I was thinking that they just have the whole story and all the back mat in the back. So you could read it the same way, but it was meant for long form. But the thing was, I didn't I didn't know anything about Watchmen when I got the first issue. I'm in LA. I bought I went to the comic store, I read a few issues, I had Watchmen. And then I um uh, I went to the laundromat late at night. And I pulled this out, and while I'm waiting for my clothes, there's a few seedy people in the, the laundromat. And I'm reading, and I'm like, who is Rorschach? What's this supposed to be? You know, and I had no idea where anything was going on, and I had to stop, and I reread the first five pages, I think eight times, thinking, what am I reading? And then I read the whole thing, and it was just strange, because, like, for some reason, I'm supposed to know who all these characters are that I never heard of. And I came back to the apartment. My roommate's looking at me, and I'm like, hey, you know, I, I I kept reading that one issue over and over and over again. And then I read the back matter, and then I'd read the issue again. And um, and that was basically my experience on all twelve issues. And I still remember that I say this all the time on the show. The Doctor Manhattan on Mars when he's telling his story. It kind of melted my brain, folded over, melted it again, twisted yeah. a little bit, melted it. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I'm by this time we're living in Oklahoma. And I'm basically sitting in an apartment with no furniture. Like, what am I reading here? You know, it just took me away. But, you know, if you had to trade, what's going on? I'll just read some more, you know, which is 
that's how it was meant to be. That's good. But I don't know when you said that, it kind of set me off because that's um, well, not set me off. It just it was a train of thought because I I love trades, and I was thinking it'd be kind of nice if you could just buy the trade instead of a single. But I love the single issues. Yeah, you know, even yeah. though they're a pain, you know. But and when I read my comics. I I don't normally go for the trades. Yeah, you know I, they're nice to put on the shelf. They're nice to lend out. They're nice to have, but I find I always pull the single issues out, and that's the ones I read. Yep. You know? Yeah, you know it's it, it, there are certain books that it just it, it's more fun to read them in single issues. You know, yeah. um, but again, like I said, I, I'm grateful for trades because you know you get to. You get that package, that full set package, and especially for somebody, you know, like like we like to share books, yeah. you know. Um, I love sharing books with people, but I'm not sharing single issues, you know. I'm just not because some of those, some of those are, you know, I don't know why. It's like I feel like those are easier to lose than this big fat hardback in front of me. <laughs> well, here's an example. I remember. I lent you the the Miracle Man books, the Marvel Man that you know from Eclipse, mm-hmm. and you were scared to death to read them. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Look, just read them. It's not a problem. I'm not, you know, I wasn't looking at value. I just wanted you to read the books." Right. Well, now uh, Promi, who we've had on the show, he came and asked me about Watchmen. And I said, "Yeah, I, I got them." And he was careful asking me. I said, "Yeah, if you want to read it, I'll bring them in." I brought instead of. Since I was working with a guy every day, I just brought him in single issues. And um, he was really, oh, this is, I don't I don't buy him for that. I just buy him to read. You know, don't worry about it. If you lose it, it's damaged, that's okay. So he read a, a couple of issues, and he came and talked, man, you're right. It's a lot different than the film. You know, he saw the film. Oh, yeah. One. And I said, yeah, it's a lot different. Says, I'm saying that they, they tried they tried to make the the film like the comic and I see where he went from it but nevertheless the comic is a different animal anyway um, I left the company Promi and I are really good friends but I don't ever see him and I don't know where issue 3 is (laughs) it's the whole last week I should have bugged him about it (laughs) well I've had lunch with him before but I just never think about it hopefully he still has it but um (laughs) But that's what happens when you lend out single issues. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and see, that's that's you know my my OCD would take over, and you know I have <laughs> to have the whole series. You know, got got yeah. got to have it, got to collect them all. <laughs> well, see, I could hopefully he'll have it, but if he doesn't, I'm not going to buy that issue again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, I can see it. <laughs> there's a pro and a con to everything. One, I had a question I was thinking about the other day. We have a reading list. Anybody listening, if you go to the blog, under the, the banner, we have different tabs, and one is reading list. And each one of us have ten books that we recommend. We also have a second <clears throat> section that's uh, books about comics and comics history and, you know, about cartoonists. But I was just thinking... What what other books or series would you recommend? You know, say two or three that's not on your reading list. Because you can't put everything on a reading list. No, you can't put everything on a reading list. Uh, you know, and that's one thing. It's, man. Well, <clears throat> I have to tell you, I, I think I'd put Last Ronin on there now. Yeah. You know, uh, absolutely fantastic, fantastic book. Um 
probably one of the things that I don't think is on my reading list would be uh, would be like Earth X, Earth X, Universe yeah. X, Paradise X uh, from Marvel. Um, I really, I really enjoyed the oddness of where that went and how that universe kind of broke apart. Right. You know, uh, I love the Elsewhere world stories. Yeah. You know, anything else world stories from DC stuff, um, definitely recommend. Uh, you know, and then, of course, there's other stuff. I mean, God, there's so many different things right now. Dallas, you know, I mean, what? And Dang, man, I know. He's stuff. got he's got me. Like, I'm sitting here thinking now. <laughs> Dallas? Shoot. I don't know. I'm trying to, okay, so, hold on. Let me open up my tablet and look for some books, because I can think of something, I'm sure, but it's going to take me a while. Why don't we take a music break, and then come back and talk about this? I was wrong all along But the blue, blue sky Changed my mind That ship sailed Long ago With the green, green grass Between my toes Oh, oh, oh I said, oh, oh, oh And you feel it In the air Change. 
You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. Your Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. That song was called House of Change by me, Dallas Busha, uh, off my album that came out last year called A Moment Trapped in Amber, and you can find that pretty much on any streaming site that you like to go to. Wait, so you're some kind of musician? Yeah, and I'm shamelessly self-promoting myself on my uh, on the show. Yeah. Uh, how dare you self-promote yourself on a show you created? <laughs> so Don threw a nice little uh, curveball at us before the break, asking you know um, some other books that we'd recommend. So, um, which I think is awesome, man. But wow, was I unprepared? <laughs> I don't know why either. I don't know why. You know, it's like. Guys talk comics all the time. Rook, you should have like a million things lined up. Oh, dude. Uh, they did. You know, <laughs> they mentioned I, seven books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm going to add a couple. Uh, Red Rocket 7. <gasps> yes. Dude. 100,000 oh, times. What a fantastic book that is. Yes. You know? I mean, I, I absolutely adore and love that book. So Really anything, like even Madman, anything he does oh, is yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, I, I like it, Red Rocket's sitting right up there on the top of the shelf, you yeah. know. Um, and then uh, another one that I'd recommend, not for all readers, okay? Not everybody's going to dig this book. Uh, Sunstone. Yeah. I absolutely love Sunstone. It is such, I mean, like, you know, window dressings, you know, it it's one thing. But deep down, that book is a, it's, it's totally a romance comic, you know? And I mean... Hmm. You know, window dressing, you know, you walk into it thinking, oh, okay, a bunch of fetish, BDSM, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it is just this adorable, ridiculous romance comic. I love it. I love that book. One thing about that is we talked and I, I, I read it like I just did the rest last Ronin. I kind of thumbed through it and mm-hmm. while Rook talked. But, you know, you can sit there and say fetish or, or you know... This and that, but it was a comic about a relationship. It may not be the relationship that you have, but it was absolutely a relationship. And as people know, there's all kinds of things that go on, you know, personal preferences, this and that. But it was about two people finding their way together. Yeah. And I mean, again, just thumbing through the thing, I I was touched. I didn't cry like I did in the last Ronin, but. It was beautiful. Over here bawling like a little baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um that was you know one thing, going back to Red Rocket Seven, that one when it came out, it, it kinda did a blind side to me because he was doing Madman. And then he started doing the Atomics, which is a book I really oh, loved. That's yes. that's one of my favorites. I felt like it was a love letter to the Fantastic Four. Yeah, right? Absolutely. And Madman was like Spider Man in that book. You know, like when Spider-Man would show up with, with Fantastic Four. But all of a sudden he did a, he did a Madman Superman Hula Baloo. It was like two issues. They did Madman Jam. Well, what is this? Why isn't he going back and finishing these other stories? And then he's doing Red Rocket 7, which Rug just brought out the trade. It's a square book, like a little tiny record album. Yeah, 
That's yeah. how the the single issues were. There was, I think, seven. I think there were seven issues. Yeah, I think so. I think I think it broke it into seven separate issues. But I think, what is he doing here? Why didn't he finish something? Well, there was a a magazine called Comicology or Comicsology. It's not the app that Amazon bought and completely destroyed, but it um he was talking in a magazine about. Basically, he had these things lined up in contracts, and they all kind of fell in one place. But Red Rocket 7, I read seven issues that came out, and I just thought that was the greatest thing I've ever read. I almost broke Dallas's arm trying to get him to read it. Uh, other friends, I tried thinking, this is the book people like, and nobody except Rook has ever seen like You did like it? Yeah, I did. Okay. I read it. Right. It's because you almost broke my arm. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I you know. But this one, I could absolutely see being just as fantastic in one trade. The way it read. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think the single issues of the trade. I don't think it really would have mattered, except that the trade would be a lot easier to store than the seven really odd sized issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I don't know if you just watch me try and pull it off the shelf, but there's like <laughs> there's like pieces on the shelf that I have yeah. to like shift and move, and the shelf is a little low, so I'm like, okay, got to make sure the lights don't, and I'm trying to pull it, because it is, it's an odd shape, uh, comparatively. <laughs> uh, but, you know, again, here's a fantastic book. I mean, you know, Red Rocket 7, uh, we've done a full review of this book in, in an older episode, just uh, hit up bunchofdorks.com, click on the Cyclops, Type in Red Rocket 7, then it's Red Rocket number 7, uh, and you'll be able to hear us do a full review of it. But, you know, that's a great book to have on your reading list, you know? Yes, it I is. mean, especially if you're any kind of a music fan, you know? Uh, and, I mean, science fiction, music, you know, just, yeah, it, it hits on so many levels. And they all go together. I've always seen rock and roll and science fiction as oh, comics, yeah. you know? Even 100%. if they weren't. But that one... He tells the whole history of rock and roll with seven alien brothers that I've never heard of. And for some reason, it works quite well. Oh, it's fantastic. It's such a fun read. Okay, Dallas? Uh, okay, so um, for me, the godfather of comic books, Will Eisner. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big sucker for him. I love the spirit comic books. But um, A Contract with God, probably one of his first graphic novels. I think maybe his first graphic novel. I think novel. it was the first. Yeah was just amazing and i would highly recommend that to anybody that that loves comic books or just loves to read something that's super important in the medium right no none of us knew this until um that will eisner book that bob andleman wrote came out but um will eisner's wife had a daughter and she died yeah and that's what the contract to god was all about and bob andleman talked about it that the way that book came about, Will Eisner was supposed to do a biography, an autobiography. They hired Bob Andelman. Bob Andelman's a St. Pete you know, journalist and uh, used to work for the St. Pete Times. You and, know, um, borrowed that book, I think. Yeah, you wanted to buy it because you met him and then you went back and he was gone. Mm-hmm. And um, But I, I did buy it from him and talked. And, um, nice, nice guy. But he, um, what he did, he kind of worked as a ghostwriter. He would write biographies for um, CEOs, you know, presidents of businesses, sports figures. He'd do all the research, you know, set, like a journalist would. And then um, at one point, Will Eisner realized how long the 
it was going to take and how much work it was. You know, he was an older man. And he says, I can't do it. And Bob Anima said, Will, I've, I've been working on this for six months. You know, I, we got a lot of work. And he says, well, I, he just, you know. But he looked at him and said, but you could do it. Oh, but that's, that's not how I work. He goes, yeah, but you could do it. I, I'm here. I can give you all the information. You've already done six months worth of work. So that's where the book came from. Anyway, at one point he said, well, they're interviewing and talking and doing all this stuff. He said, um, one day Will Eisner was just really, like it was, it was hard. And Will Eisner said, well, they sat down and said, I think it's time I tell you. And he told them about the daughter. And nothing was ever the same when they lost her. Is I hope I'll never know that, but that's just got to be devastating. And um, that's what the contract of God was about. We had a contract. And when you know that, it completely changes everything. But Will Eisner always said, which I, I hear people argue, but he said that was the first graphic novel. Yeah, I remember that's kind of how it was hyped at the time, yeah. right? Well, they said, um, it's weird to say now, but before, they never collected comics. Uh, Jack Kirby, Mark, Mark Evanier was talking about this on um, one of his YouTube shows. But in the se It was in the 70s when he was doing the New World stuff for DC Comics. Carmine Infantino, who was the president and publisher he was going to a distributors meeting out in California and he invited Jack Kirby to come with him and then Carmine couldn't go so it was just Jack Kirby and Mark Avenir and Steve Sherman was talking about it saying that um, Jack Kirby said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell these people I'm going to show them what you know comics and how to do it and he said when he was at the thing he would talk to people and these distributors said Marvel Comics I've heard of that what is, why do I know that and they're just kind of dismissive. And they said, when they went to pick Jack Kirby up and bring him, he was completely changed. He was like, just degraded, dejected, you know. When he realized that how people looked at comics, you know. And um, Jack Kirby always saw people collecting them in hardback volumes of stuff, and people thought he was insane. It'd be like taking classified ads from the newspaper and putting them in encyclopedia volumes is what people were looking at. Which is what happened. It's just much later than Jack Kirby saw. But anyway, well, I was into the contract of God, and it sold really well when it first came out. And then after that, when it wasn't a, a new item anymore, I know Will Eisner went to some bookstore in New York and says, "Well, how, how's it doing?" And I said, "Well, it sold really well at first when they had it in the front of the store." And he said, after that, they didn't know where to put it. They put it in humor, which if before in the 70s and 80s, if you want to get a, any kind of comic, it was always in humor. Some of those aren't funny. The, the contract of God is absolutely not funny. Yeah. And they said, well, this isn't funny. So they didn't know what to do, so they put it in the cardboard box down in the basement. Uh, they didn't have it for sale for anybody. Which I thought, yeah, actually... You know, I mean, I see where they're coming. That was a long time ago. It took ago. decades before there was a yeah. specific market for yeah. those kind of books. But that's the thing. When people think of comics, they think of funny stuff or they think of superheroes, which is a big part of it, but it's not all of it. Comics can be anything you want. That's a good choice, man. 
Um, I also like a big indie name from the 90s was Daniel Klaus, and I like a lot of his books. I would say probably one of his most popular and the most accessible, if you're getting into him, would be Ghost World, which kind of, and that's probably why they made it, because they made a movie about it, and it's probably because that was the easiest thing to adapt, right? Like, that book, uh, compared to a lot of his books, is pretty linear, um, but it follows, like, two, I think, high school-age girls, and just, like, their kind of day-to-day, and then... Their their uh their perspective on their neighbors and their neighborhood, and how they treat people, and then just their relationship with each other, uh, their friendship, and I think it's a great great book, and that's probably the first Daniel Klaus book I've read, and um, that really stuck with me, so that would be on my list. That's a good choice. Yeah. That was I guess that was serialized in his comic Eight Ball. Yeah, I think it was most of his yeah. stuff. Like I've read, you know, I've got a few of his graphic novels, and I think they're all collections of stories from Eight Ball. But that one, it reads nice as a, as a graphic novel. And the movie's good, too, but the movie, they really changed a lot. And yeah. It's a difference. So if you've seen the movie and liked it, you'll probably like the comic, but it's not going to be the same animal. If you read the comic, you might enjoy the movie, but again, much different. That's pretty good. Okay, but Rook has done like 19 books. So. <laughs> All right, well, here's but, an easy target. A good mainstream book. My superhero choice. I don't think it's on my list. Uncanny X-Men, I'm a huge, I've always been a huge fan, that's my biggest comic book when I was a kid, but From the Ashes, which was a Chris Claremont story, it was like nine issues, drawn by Paul Smith from 1983, and it's collected in a trade paperback called From the Ashes, and for me that was just the pinnacle of X-Men stories at the time, because it had, it introduced some great ideas, some new characters like the Morlocks, and it also just had some fun action, but most importantly, it had that Chris Claremont characterization, which I think he was in his prime in like the early to mid eighties. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so and there was some great Wolverine in Japan action. It had a little bit of everything. I, I think you can just pretty much put down and and just all of Chris Claremont's run on X Men. Mm-hmm. On put just Take it all and put it on your reading yeah. list, people, because that's that's just some good X Men right now. Oh, right of course. There. That one specifically, though, is like for me. Like I said, this is the pinnacle. Yeah. Like, man, I could sit back and just read that trade paperback from front to back over and over yeah. again, as I did when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, and I always did. And um, yeah, I, I think I might even still have it, like the collect the trade. Yeah. So, from me, I gave yeah, you that copy yeah. when we were probably like teenagers. I yeah, think. I'm pretty sure. So. Yeah, but the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, Paul Smith. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great okay. stuff. So yeah, that I would recommend that. All right, Don, your turn. Oh, I don't have anything. I just want to see what you guys would say. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more then, and I'll add it. <laughs> uh, he puts us on the hot seat, and he ain't uh, got anything. So oh, come on, man. Ahead, Let me I'll add one uh, a comic series that Don would and probably has recommended: Usagi Yojimbo. Yeah. But I'm going to go with the very first five issues of his original run, which was, um, uh, I think it was called Samurai. And it was basically Usagi's origin and him growing up with his master and having his first, um, basically becoming a ronin because he yeah. was uh, yeah, he was a samurai to Mifun. I don't remember the name of the, uh, the Mifune. lord. Mifune. Yeah. Anyway, those first five issues, which was collected in a trade, and that's another one I had as a kid around the same time as From the Ashes, and I would read it front to back. And I know Rook read it as well. Don, who is a big Usagi fan, bigger than me, um, has probably read it a million times. For me, that would be a good starting point for Usagi. It's almost safer to say 
we read more Usagi comics than we did Ninja Turtle comics. I would totally agree with that. You know, it is safe I mean, to say that because you we, know we were collecting uh, like, them monthly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we read the heck out of some Usagi Ojimbo comics back yeah. in the day. Would you have read them if if they didn't do the, the <laughs> crossover with the turtles? Would you have been aware of it? For me, no, because that's how I found out about them was Usagi oh. issue 10 or something had Leonardo in it. Oh, okay. And so I picked that issue up, and that's how I learned about Usagi personally. You know, I don't know I don't know if I would have. Probably, considering that time frame in my life, I was yeah. studying martial arts. Yeah. So, uh, specifically, I had started studying sword as well. Yeah. Um, so, I probably would have ended up reading it, but I don't know that... I don't know if I would have read it as soon as I did had it not been for the Turtles. I got you. One thing about Usagi Jimbo, I bought the first five issues when we moved to the Tampa Bay area. Money was tight. And I went to the store in, in Tampa, and I saw they had the first five. I'd seen them in Alberto, you know, it's a Hawaiian comic. But, I, oh, I've been wanting to get this. This is back when comics, I think, were 75 cents, the mainstream comics. Usagi Jimbo was two bucks. And I bought the first five issues, and I remember I was the registered guy, so it was $2. And I was kind of taken aback. I know Myrna was, and she, I wouldn't expect it to be that much. Well, I didn't mind because I wanted to get it. What I didn't like was that it was only half the issue, and the other half was another new like cartoonist. They, they always changed. Yeah. And I hate to say this. They were all pretty bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't mean to be mean, but they were, they weren't good. And so I didn't buy any more because I didn't want to spend two bucks on something that I'd hate half of it. Yeah. And um, it was later on when he started doing the whole issues, I thought, well, this is sweet. But when I started getting the trades... It kind of amazed me because if you read it from the beginning, it's one continuous story. And I, I'd seen some of these characters later on that's from the beginning. I didn't realize they started like this, but it it's a consistent story all the way through. But on my reading list, I have Usagi Jimbo Grasscutter. And that one is monumental. Um, it's all good. And some issues I really enjoy because... One issue is one of my favorite issues is him and I can't think of how I say her name. Tomo, Tomoe, um, Tomo. That's how I always Tomo. say it. Tomo, okay, that's how I'm gonna say it too. But she um it was Usagi and Tomo doing the tea ceremony. Yeah. I that, remember that. That I was remember touching. That, that was yeah. really touching. But Grass Cutter, when that came out, that one first issue, I'm just like, This is staggering. Um and the whole series and he did another one, Grass Cutter too, which is good, but Grass cutter is really something special. But yeah, the first five issues and introduces it, it's quite nice. That's a that's a really good choice. That's where I learned so much about Japanese culture because Stan Sakai was Japanese yeah. and he implemented so much and he had so much knowledge of feudal Japan and the culture and society then and it was just that book, Usagi was oozing with all of that. Right. Yeah, that's good. Alright, with mine. One of my favorite comics, and I found this by accident. I was at a store back in the 80s. Everybody knows I love Cosmic Odyssey. Now, this was a mainstream book. That one, I'm going to list this on the... 
It was four issues of DC Comics. It tied in Jack Kirby's Fourth World, The New Gods, and all that stuff with the Justice League of America. It was four square-bound issues. I think that is just absolutely some of the best. It was drawn by Mike Mignola. It was written by Jim Starlin. And that's what made me a Mike Mignola fan. And it's on a trade. It's, I, I don't know, even now, I still feel like it just brings back the, the thrill every time I read this thing. But the one I'm, I'm adding to the list, well, I'm going to add that one too. But that one was well known. A lot of people read it. But one I didn't know Mike Mignola had done was Fafner and the Gray Mouser, the Fritz Lieber work. Mm. It was just like Cosmic Odyssey. It was four square bound issues. It was from Epic Comics, you know, the Marvel imprint. But I hadn't heard anything about it. I just went to the comic store one day and the first issue was there. I ripped it off the shelf as fast as I could. Howard Chaykin wrote it. Mike Minola drew it. Al Williamson inked it. And I thought, this is something else. It was four, four books. Uh, usually the books told two stories each and they were adapted from the Fritz Lieber novels. And I just thought, I, I couldn't wait to get the next one. And when you open it up, he'd have spot illustrations on the inside cover of, like, an ancient city with a balloon over it or something. It just was neat. Secondary characters. Um, characters just walking around. It looked like watching the Ten Commandments movie, you know, from the, the old 40s movie. There was just so much in it. I thought, this is incredible. Come to find out, Howard Chaykin asked Mike Mignola, because he did so many character sketches and designs. He goes, are you making a movie? And um, Mike Mignola got upset, not at Chaykin, but at Epic, because they didn't promote it or anything. They just, you know, it was just there. I remember my friend Britt, I was talking to him, he's down in Dallas, and when I told him, he goes, is that good? Yeah, it's great. But it just seemed like it was under the radar, and I know Mike Mignola got upset that Marvel never put it in the trade. And I thought, that's so bizarre. Well, they did put in a trade. It's nice, but I highly, highly recommend it. I pulled it out and read it. The Cosmic Odyssey and Fafter and the Gray Mouser. I learned of Fafter and the Gray Mouser, of all things, in the Emma Peel white jumpsuit Wonder Woman comic in the early 70s, which I didn't really like, but they were in it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then DC put out a a comic called Sword and Sorcery that Howard Chaykin drew. That's early Howard Chaykin work. I collected them. So, I mean, I knew who they were, but that one is just second to none. Um, I've always highly recommended it, and it's one of those really under-the-radar books. And another one would be, and this most people know this, was Darwin Cook's New Frontier. Absolutely. Absolutely love it. And, um, so that'd be my three. They didn't make my list, but I think they're well worth reading and people should know about them. Uh, two other books that were on my list, and I took them off, was um, <coughs> Terminal City, the yeah. complete collection. Terminal City was, I think, 12 issues, maybe not that many, from um, DC's Vertigo, written by Dean Motter, who created Mr. X with... Um, Paul Ravoche, 
and it was drawn by Michael Lark. And then they did a second series, which I think was, I don't know, it wasn't as many, like maybe six, nine issues, called Aerial Graffiti. Anyway, you get a really nice trade. Absolutely. Just, you know, like I said, I had on my reading list, and then I bumped it. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, if you follow my Instagram, I posted back during the holidays that I was at a get-together, and somebody brought out a box because they knew I was the person to talk to. And inside the box is these. Oh, okay. A bunch of old previews magazines. Oh my goodness. Dude, these are hilarious. Like, they're all from like the 90s, 94, 95, 96. But like, they're, they're still, they still even have like the original promo pages, like card pages and everything like that inside of them. <laughs> I mean... This is like nostalgia, walking down memory lane, going through these. Oh, I mean, sure. it is wild. Because, yeah, it's great because you see all these old books that we were reading, and it's it's indicative of the time. It's got all the all the comics that were coming out that month. It had like a, sh- like a two-sentence um, c- uh, explaining what the issue was and then the price of it. Yep. The card inserts, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, the guy left everything in there. All the card inserts, everything. I mean, look. Here's here's <laughs> the Marvel's masterpiece card oh with multiple gosh. pieces on the same card. So some of these are probably worth something, right? So, uh, some of these can be worth something, which is wild. Um, he actually handed me the box and asked me if, uh, when I get some time after the new year to sit down and price these out for him. You know, get an idea of what some of them could be worth. And he's pretty confident that he has the previews issue where Spawn was previewed on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. And that one, that one's supposedly worth some good chunk of money. Uh, but it's wild to think, like, these preview comics, you know, uh, these were... Uh, pe- collectors are still looking for these. They, they want them for their collection. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, it's... It's so wild to think that because, I mean, I used to buy these and, you know, rip my way through them and then toss them out, you know. So, yeah. I mean, I never thought to keep any of these. Yeah, same here. You know, I didn't, you bought them then? Uh, well, I, I would buy them, yeah. Uh, once in a while at the store. Every couple of months or so I'd buy one. But, you know, it's not like I, like I said, it's not like I kept them. This dude kept them all. I mean, just every single one of them. What we're talking about is previews magazine. And these things were square bound, and a lot of them were as thick as a phone book for yeah, a small town. They remind me of like a Sears catalog. Yeah, yeah, it's like a Sears catalog. Um, some people may be too young to even know what a Sears catalog is, but <laughs> nevertheless, um, these were in color, um, black and white, but they had color. And like I said, what Rook's talking about, they had card inserts, which were something. Um, I The first time I ever heard of previews was a really good comic store in Tampa. And they had a subscription service. I never, I just went and bought the books every week. But this one guy working there was telling me, if you subscribe, some of the stores, there's one store in Largo that, they had a subscription service, and I was going to do it when I moved out here, but it was so complicated. It's like playing three-card Monty when you're downtown. You know, um, if the moon was full on the second Tuesday of the third week of the, the fourth month of the year, <laughs> that kind of stuff, and you had to do this many books to get this, and this, and I said, oh, forget it. And um, 
But he said that basically you got, what was it, 15% off? He said, if you subscribe to previews. Really? And when he's talking, I just said, you really sold me on how it sells itself, he said. So I subscribed. I never got previews, but um, I'm glad because I didn't really want them. But I'd see them in the store and thumb through them. And another store I went to that was down on my side of the bay, he would have old issues, and you want them? i take them home and look through them. What I would do, i cut out like little tiny color comic covers that had caught my eye. Yeah. And I'll tell you, time-consuming in this magazine, because you'd have the magazine sitting there, you'd be tearing out pages, and they had these pages to cut, you know, the little things out. I'm like, Why am I doing this? Nevertheless, I have about 700 clippings all through <laughs> boxes and stuff. Um, but it... um. It was a monumental magazine. That's where, just thumbing through this guy's, I found out the Osama Tezuka's Buddha, you know, series was coming out. There was a bunch of stuff you learned about. If you didn't get in previews, you were dead. You were just completely dead in the water. And every time you talk to you hear about creators, it's a big thing if they get into previews. And if oh, yeah. previews won't carry them, that's basically a death knell. I yeah, don't know about now, but... It was just perfect exposure because the, the <clears throat> internet wasn't what it was. Yeah. Or what, was not what it is. It was... Actually, this might be pre-internet. This before is it was pre-internet, the dude. Public, 1994. Right? This is before we were all online. This was 92. Yeah. It, it, it's so funny because like even like even this like right now the back side of this is the marvels preview the when you so it was done it, the way the previews was done for anybody who hasn't seen it is it was a cover on one side and then you flip it over and there's a cover on the other side and marvel took over the opposite side cover for a while and it would just be just the Marvel preview stuff. Yeah, this would be oh. where everybody found out about the books coming out. And you, your first exposure to new, new books. Yeah. New titles. I mean, new titles, new games, new merch, cards, shirts. Uh, one of these had, like, bomber jackets uh, with, like, different comic book character designs on them. You know, um, there's, one, there's one that I just saw that was previewing a bunch of second edition Dungeons & Dragons books. You know, uh, it, so that yeah. is what we played when we were young. Is the second yeah, edition, second right? edition, dude. And that's where we started. I mean, you know, it's it's just so nuts to like look through these and like remember like this was how the information was gathered. This is how you found out. You know, and then you'd ha- sit and have conversations with people at the shop and be like, "Hey, did you see this in previews?" No, I missed that. But did you see this? No, I didn't. You know, because I mean, it was a, it's a big book. Yeah, it's these got to be you know stuff three four hundred pages. These books. Oh, yeah, easily. Time machines. Easily. Uh, oh yeah, here we go. Here's here's a bunch of like Ren and Stimpy uh, <laughs> t-shirts and t-shirts, and merchandise, <laughs> coffee mugs. Uh, yeah, I remember they had toys in them. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, there's toys in here. Uh, all kinds of different stuff. I mean, it's just. It's so funny to think that this is this was it. This, but previews is still around. Yeah. You uh, know? When I started going to Wilson's Book World, when I read the subscription requirements, basically it said go through previews. I had to do that every time. I, I don't, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And then the guy, the owner said, oh, no, we do it. You just write down the books you want and we'll look them up, which is how every comic store. So I just had a list and wrote down the, you know, the titles I wanted. And they were really good about it. But I, all I was thinking was, 
especially that time in my life, I didn't have time to go through previews. Um, a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, half the time I probably wouldn't find what I wanted anyway, you know. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if the magazine's still... Is, they still putting out a magazine? Yeah, they're still putting this out. Like the, still. the physical like, paper yeah. magazine, though. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, last time I was in a, in a in a shop, they had a copy of previews, current copy of previews sitting right mm. there. Uh, you know, for a while, I would I I would pick it up every once in a while, and the Marvel preview section was a whole different leaflet inside the book, like it's whole, you just separate it out entirely. So, well, no, that when Holly her grad her senior year, she wrote a paper on the comics and basically the Wortham hearings. You know, she was the one to talk about Mac, uh, Bill Gaines, you know, on amphetamines and freaking out and destroyed everything, but. We were at uh, a comic store, and they had previews, and she asked if she could get an old issue. You know, she was using it for her paper. And the guy had several of them up there, but he says, no, I use these for reference and ordering. I mean, even though he had several, he didn't throw them away. He had them, but he used them for ordering books. But I just remember the other store I used to go to, he would just have them, and I'm finished with it. You want it? Okay. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. I mean, you know, to, th- to think these things were worth money and I was just like tossing them out, you know. Well, not all of them. And that's the thing. You could probably save a bunch. Maybe just a few are worth something. Not everything's gold. No, not everything's gold. Definitely not. There are some of these that are worth less than the cover price that's on them. But, like, I was pretty shocked to find out that there are some that are actually got some decent value to them um you know i'm cataloging these right now trying to price them all out for him and see you know what he's got what he what he might be able to kick over on like ebay or something like that to sell and then uh from there he says he's got like at least two more boxes of them (laughs) (laughs) i'm like oh man okay all right let's uh let's do this Wow. Definitely the strangest thing brought to me, you know, and asked, you know, for me to price out for somebody, you know. And and, and I at least feel like for once, like somebody brought me something that was like so odd, (laughs) so different, you know, like a stack of previews uh, magazines, you know. I mean, I've broken so many people's hearts over the years when they bring me comic books from the 90s and I'm like, yeah. A lot of good reading in there, bud. (laughs) It it is good reading for some people. A good friend of mine who doesn't read comic books, he moved to Jacksonville. And one day he asked me to call him. He bought a box of comics. You know how sometimes people have, you know, um, adult centers, rec centers have have sales. Mm -hmm. And somebody had a box of comics and they were selling them. Sell them for um. He he ended up buying the whole box for fifty bucks. Yeah. No, I'm sorry for a hundred bucks. And he called me and was telling me the titles is what he just said there were the '90s comics. And I said, well, the problem is on that. This is '90s comics. They were they were really hot in the '90s, really hot. And how many times have you seen whole print runs of stuff in yep. dollar boxes? 
And I've seen them in quarter boxes. And, I, and when I go into the store, something oh, it's a load of garbage in there. Well, it's it's those ninety comics. Well, it's because all the stores bought multiple copies, stacks of them, and sandbagged them and had them really high priced in the store. But I said there are people that love them. Usually, people a lot younger than we are. But you know, there are people that that's some of their favorite comics. Yeah. But I said, um, you can check it out and look. Well, he tried to, he, he only bought them to sell. He didn't want to read them. And uh, he ended up selling a whole box for $50. He lost $50 on it. Man. And um, he said, well, that was a mistake I shouldn't have done. I said, well, that's that's okay. You, you know, you tried. Hey, I had something like that happen at a yard sale one time. You know, I had a bunch of comic books sitting out uh, for the kids in the neighborhood. I was like, you know, like... Give me a nickel and take five comics, you know? I mean, the kids were loving it. Because the point was not to make money, but to get them out to younger readers. Well, get get them out of, you know, my limited storage space that I had. And, you know, I was like, we got a ton of kids in this neighborhood. I'm like, I'm just going to make sure they all have comic books, you know? Oh, yeah. And then we had some dude show up. He took one look, and he's like, how much for the whole box? I'm like, I don't know. Like, uh, there's like a hundred comics in there still. Um, I don't know, like twenty bucks. And he goes, twenty bucks. I'll give you fifty. I'm like, okay, stupid. <laughs> you know? well, I, I think that's like, nice. I don't really get stupid. I mean, well, I'm... no. Here, here's here's the thing. He was a speculator. He uh-huh. was banking on the fact that I didn't know what I had. Oh, you know. I mean, I had already had one guy show up and, like, try to explain comic books to me at my own yard sale, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I kind of laughed at him. I was like, listen, you're not going to find gold in there, you know. It's a, bunch, it's a bunch of junk. It's a bunch of, you know, high-run 90s comics. So, this, this guy, I'm not kidding you, he buys the box. Within an hour, I get a phone call from the comic book shop. Uh, hey, bro. Did you just sell some dude a box of comic books at a yard sale? I was like, yeah, I'm doing a yard sale. I had a bunch of them out for the kids in the neighborhood, and uh, some dude came up and, you know, gave me the gave me 50 bucks for the box. I only wanted 20. And the guy's like, yeah, now he's pissed. I think he might be coming back to your house. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, let him. I told the guy there wasn't anything yeah. worth anything in there. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry. That is stupid. I'm sorry. I was I was on your side, dude. But yeah, no. I, I mean, like, I told the guy what it was in there. You know, there's no gold in there, buddy. There's you're not you know you're not prospecting here. <laughs> yeah, it is one thing though. How many times do you find something in the dollar box? I find series in the dollar boxes that I didn't know of, but I'm happy to get them. Yep. But I'm missing, missing one issue on it. Yeah. And then you look it up online, and they're like $15, $20, an issue. Yeah. And I found three of the issues in the dollar box. Yep. And they're in good shape. But it's not once in a while. It's all the time. So basically, if you go online trying to find something, a lot of money. But stores can't sell them, and they got them in the dollar box. Yeah. You have to dig, but... Just this happened in the early '70s when comics got hot. It's when on the Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder back in 1973, a guy came on with the first issue of Action Comics, 
And my aunt was talking to me about it because I was an oddball because I was really heavily into comics. And she goes, and he had it in a plastic bag, which I had never heard of at the time. But, you know, at the time, that thing was worth $10,000. Yeah. And everybody's freaking out. And next thing you know, comic books were the hot thing. And everybody would pull out stuff in the garage. Supposedly, everybody that walked the planet Earth had the first issue of Action Comics. And yep. they, they got rid of it. <laughs> yep. But comic hey. books were worth a lot of money all of a sudden. And they really weren't. Some of them were that particular issue, I remember my dad years ago getting into a conversation with me about like what I was spending my money on, and you know I was I was a kid, I was probably like sixteen, uh-huh. and he's like, you know, you're, you're spending all this money on comic books, and da da da, and you know, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, some of these could be worth something at some point. And he's like, well, how much is going to comic really be? And I was like, well, the first appearance of Superman's worth, you know, blah blah blah, and he's like, what? It's like yeah, so I, I pulled it up in uh, you know the the guide and I showed him the picture of the cover of the comic, how much it was valued at because it had just been found in like inside of some dude's wall when he was doing a remodel on his house. Somebody just stuck it in there like insulation. And this guy yeah, was remodeling yeah. and he sold the dang thing and it was not in great condition, but he sold it for like a million dollars. Well, as a matter of fact, the one they found in the wall. It was in better condition, but somebody got excited and ripped it out of their hand. They got in a fight and it damaged the comic. And it still sold for an astronomical amount of money. Yeah. But it was in better shape until somebody got overexcited. And the best part of that conversation was my dad looking at that image. I, I think I had that when I was a kid. (laughs) <laughs> I asked my dad about that because they it's when DC was doing those limited collector's editions and they put out the first issue of Action Comics but it was those massive sizes mm-hmm. and I bought that and I was so excited you know it was just I, I liked reading Golden Age comics when I was a kid you know, I still do but I was kind of excited and I was asking him why didn't he save it and dad was looking at the the time and he was explaining about when he started reading. And he said, this book came out about six or seven years before he could read it. So he wouldn't have it. Oh, okay. And uh, But everybody else besides my dad probably had a copy of the issue. Yeah. It's what it sounds like. <laughs> but, um, you know, and that's the other issue was, I say this all the time. Guys were following the price guys and talk about what was valuable and what wasn't. And um, some of the guys at the time, Joe Kubert's Tarzan, you know, the DC Tarzan was hot. Yeah. And they kept saying, well, that's the books you need to get is The Shadow, the first four issues Michael Kaluta drew, Joe Kubert's Tarzan. Well, how many issues of Tarzan have you found in the dollar box? They're not worth anything. Um I even looked up online. I bought a couple of those old issues, and um, they're like a dollar. They're yeah. not much. Um, like I said, I I bought what was it? The first appearance of Wolverine, Hulk one eighty one. Yeah, I bought that at the store. The Hulk, it was a popular comic, but it wasn't considered a key collector's comic. And some goes, "It's Herb Trumpy. He sucks," which I'm not going to argue with. 
But I bought that because the guy had claws on his you know, yeah. on his hands, and it had that arrow saying introducing the fir- first Canadian superhero. Well, that's kind of neat. I was 12, and I was at school talking about it. So you just buy anything, well, <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> um, at the time, it didn't seem big until he joined the new X-Men and yep. became a prominent character and... You know, yeah. Yeah, to the moon. But at the time, I just bought it because I liked it. You know, it was a guy with claws on his hand and I was 12. Yeah. And um, the Punisher, you know, appeared as Spider-Man. And every once in a while, hear some guy say, I like that character, the Punisher. Yeah, he's kind of neat, isn't he? Well, I didn't realize the Punisher was going to be so massive. Um, you know, who would have thought? But at the time, those weren't really considered anything. You know, they were... So, the world can be a funny place if you collect comics. Yeah. You should just get them to read. Yeah. All right, any closing remarks, gentlemen? Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, for anybody who is was wondering, the Spectre's After Death Energy Drink from Homebrew Heroes, pretty damn good. I drank the whole thing, and I'm ready to go now. <laughs> Never been so frightened in my life. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, everybody, thank you for listening. Everything we talked about, you can find on bunchofdorks.com. And I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not going to talk about the other stuff. Uh, you've heard the other episodes before, hopefully. So thanks for listening. In the meantime, read more comics. If you would like to be part of the show, draw a fake comic book cover and we'll use it to promote our new episodes online. To check out examples of everything we talked about on this episode and past episodes, go to bunchofdorks.com and click on the Cyclops. If you'd like to promote your music, send us your MP3 and you can have a musical spotlight on the show. Plus, we'll add you to the link on our music page. We have three t-shirt designs. Find them on the sidebar of the blog. Listen to the show, wear the shirt.